Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode of the Couch GM's Podcast. I'm your host, George Kurth. We are along with the other two MVPs, of course, standing for Most Valuable Podcasters, Tyler Snyder. How's it going, everybody? And Cody Roadcap. What is up, everyone? Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Couch GM's Podcast. George, Tyler, and myself are three best friends who love talking football. That's what we're going to do, and we're going to entertain you guys, and it's a big week. It's championship weekend, so get excited. Absolutely. You can expect some breakdowns of all the matchups this week, as well as going over some of the headlines from last week. And guys, why don't we just go ahead and jump right into the headlines from last week, and we can just start with head coaches. They're being hired left and right. Um so we have Robert Solid to the Jets, Urban Meyer to the Jags, Arthur Smith to the Falcons, Brandon Staley to the Chargers, and Dan Campbell to the Lions. Which one of these head coaching hires do you guys think is going to turn out to be the biggest one next season? I don't know if it's going to be the biggest one next season, but my favorite hire so far is Robert Solid to the Jets. And that's, I'll be honest with you, that's just because uh, Matt LaFleur has grown on me the last two years. I'm a huge Matt LaFleur fan. He's best friends with Robert Sala. They were in each other's weddings. They roomed together at Central Michigan. So I'm going to root for the guy. He's in the Jets. The Jets need some positive football in their life. It's been a while. Um, I'm just more intrigued if Sala wants to keep Sam Darnold or what they'll do with that number two pick. Um, another one interesting is Urban Meyer at the Jags. Coming out of college, college ranks after being retired. Seemed like an odd fit, especially with some names like Eric Bieniemy out there, but Jacksonville could be an interesting one as well. Speaking of Eric Bieniemy, I know we were really calling for Eric Bieniemy to the Falcons, but I really do like the fact that they hired Arthur Smith there. I wanted to see a good offensive mind be the head coach of that team with all the offensive weapons they have there. I think he can turn that offense into a more consistent powerhouse and really turn the Falcons around pretty quickly. So that would probably be my most significant impact of the head coaching hire so far. I really like the Arthur Smith hire. Now, I understand that uh, I am a Titans fan, so Arthur Smith coming from the Titans, I might be a little bit biased. But at the same time, Arthur Smith is an offensive uh, guru. He took the Titans from one of the worst offenses in the league to one of the best in just two years. And now he goes on a team with potentially a new quarterback, but potentially Matt Ryan, Todd Gurley, uh, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. I just feel like a guy like that taking over a team with that much offensive firepower, it could be very exciting. And he's looking at bringing um, really, really good defensive coordinator Dean Pease out of retirement to be his defensive coordinator. So they could be a really solid team next year. Absolutely. And, you know, Tennessee offensive coordinators, once they get hired, they have pretty good track records. I'm just saying. Apparently so they do. It's a good little good little breeding ground there. Uh, but that only leaves two teams. We have the Texans and the Eagles, both teams that are in a, a little bit of social media drama you know play players want out quarterbacks don't want to play but George as the Eagles fan who are you hoping for the Eagles to get of the remaining coaching pool I'll give you a little hierarchy I've got going on here in my head to try to make myself feel better about the whole situation well first off there's been a lot of talk about Andy Reid trying to endorse Eric Bieniemy to the Eagles and I think he would definitely be my first choice I think he was my first choice up there with Robert Sala for any of the teams out there I think he's going to be a beast when he finally does get a head coaching job 
Otherwise, I think the Eagles have been doing a lot of looking at Josh McDaniels, and he's kind of a name that's fallen off the last few years, but I think he could still be a solid head coach if he brings in the right people. Um, and there's been a lot of talk about Deuce Staley as well. I don't really want him to be a head coach quite yet. I don't know if he's been in a high enough position, but I want to see him stay as an offensive coordinator under whoever they bring in. So I'm hoping for Eric Bieniemy, but I I think that the front runner being Josh McDaniels, I would not hate that pick, but I want to see him at least do their research on Bieniemy first. So let me just ask with Urban Meyer being the new Jaguars head coach, going back to him, do you guys think that that gives the Jaguars a chance of drafting Justin Fields first overall over Trevor Lawrence at all now? Is there any chance of that? You know, no. I don't think there's any chance. Like Trevor Lawrence is that special of a prospect. I mean, obviously there's no guarantees in the NFL draft, but you know, he he might be a better prospect than Andrew Luck coming out and he was the surefire number 1 pick even though RG3 had a big year. Very similar situation. And some people don't even have Fields as the number two quarterback. They like Zach Wilson out of BYU over Fields. Some people have him down there with the uh, high upside guy like Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. So for Jacksonville to reach on Fields at number one, skipping over Lawrence would completely shock the NFL world. But at the same time, it is Jacksonville. So, so there's always it'd be crazy. Well, I wouldn't, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't see Jacksonville – like taking fields at first overall, but could I see them dropping down to two, three, four and getting an extra first round pick or two and then taking fields? I could see that happening. I still don't think it's likely because I don't think you can pass on the ability to take uh, Trevor Lawrence, but there's a chance that Urban Meyer wants his guy. Well, you know, I also don't think, you know, Justin Fields, he did play, play there in at Ohio state, but he wasn't, an Urban Meyer guy per se like he definitely played there but at the same time he originally went to Georgia and then had to transfer in um, in 2018 so he might have actually just missed out uh, when Urban Meyer stepped down so I don't think there is as much connection as some people will make it think so that's why another reason I don't think it'll actually happen but if Jackson it would it would make draft day a heck of a lot more interesting though You know, we're talking a lot about these prospects for the NFL draft, and we got some pretty interesting news recently that the NFL scouting combine this year might be a little different. In fact, it might not happen at all, and uh, these players might just have to hold their own pro days at the colleges that they are currently uh, from. I don't really like this. I mean, I understand that with COVID going on and everything, it's, it's a safety precaution more than anything else, but... I don't know about you guys, but I always kind of look forward to the scouting combine. I always find it more interesting. I think this is really going to throw a wrench in the whole draft. Yeah, I I agree. I think, you know, you'll see more players next year, you know, maybe draft in the third through sixth round, you know, actually be better players because they don't have that one location where they're up against talent every day. But at the same time, sometimes I think people get carried away with the combine you know, sometimes they look too deep in the numbers and forget to go back and actually look what they did in college, look at the tape. You know, everyone talks about DK Metcalf and his shuttle time, and he's still producing in the NFL. Not saying he's has the best slant route, but he can still, you know, fly down the field, make great catches. So I'm a little bit torn on how I feel about this. I think, you know, the draft position might not have as much value, but at the same time, people might actually evaluate tape like how it should be. 
I don't know why they would like then force teams to travel out to all these different pro days to see all these prospects instead of like if they're worried about getting too many people together, just make the combine like a week or a two week event and bring in different position groups, you know, rotate them in and out. Like, I don't know why they wouldn't do that. But I do agree with the whole I think people look a little bit too deep into the combine sometimes. And it would be very interesting to see how the draft changes if they don't have it. Yeah, I also think if without the combine, you know, the whole NFL predict the pick thing for X amount of dollars that they do every year, or people in sports gambling do. I don't think I, no one's actually got the whole first round completely correct because you can't do trades. But I think we'll see even worse numbers because there'll be so many unexpected. You don't know which guy people like because people aren't talking. You know, that's that's the other thing. You know, the combine is even though it's technically illegal all the agents are there talking to teams as well. You know, that's how on the first day of free agency, you know, free agency starts at, let's say four o'clock at four Oh one, the best wide receiver assigned a $10 million or $10 million a year deal or something like that because they were talking at the combine. So it, it has the ripple down effects into free agency as well. I hear that Cody. I mean, only three things in life are guaranteed and that's death taxes and the Eagles messing up the NFL draft. Um, so I'm definitely interested to see how they mess it up this year without a combine. It's going to be very interesting, especially with those draft positions. But even more so, now we have all these quarterbacks that we talked about already that are going into the draft. And this year is going to be very interesting with the quarterbacks in the draft because we had two big quarterbacks step down and retire. We had Drew Brees after his long, glorious career has retired, according to Jay Glazer. And Philip Rivers has officially retired now, too. Less of an impact, but still a top quarterback that is now gone. Yeah, so I'm going to ask you guys. Uh, I, I think I know the answer for Drew Brees. But are these guys both Hall of Famers? Are they both first ballot? It's one Hall of Famer. What are your guys' thoughts on five years from now when they're eligible for the Hall of Fame? I think Drew Brees has to be a first ballot Hall of Famer with all the stats he's put up. He's in the top three in pretty much every single quarterback category. Phillip Rivers, to me, falls in the same kind of category as like you would see the argument for Donovan McNabb years ago. I didn't think he was a Hall of Famer, um, and but he was like at least good enough that you thought there was a conversation there. And he's going to probably get a vote or two here or there, but I don't think he's ever going to get enough to get in mostly because of his postseason issues. And I mean, has the guy won, what, like three postseason games in his entire career, it seems like? Uh, I think he's won a few more f for than that because, I mean, think about all the times he was in the league this past or wildcard weekend was the first time he's ever lost on wildcard weekend. So I think it's he, because he he's just... never really played in wildcard weekend. He always had the Chargers at like 13 and three back in the day and then would lose in the divisional round every single year, it seemed like. Yeah, he just could never get over that big game. But he, you know, he did play on a torn ACL and almost upset the sixteen and zero Patriots that year. But I, I agree with you. I don't think Philip Rivers gets. He's definitely not a first ballot. I could see the name recognition getting him into the Hall of Fame eventually. Uh, maybe it's a down year depending on whose finalists are and stuff like that. I could see him, you know, squeaking in. He wouldn't be a first ballot in my opinion. Drew Brees, you know, this could be a little bit controversial. I, I definitely think he'll get in. He'll get in first pallid. But I do, I know I'm on the outside 
of at least us group of three people, and I don't know about the listeners out there, I do think Drew Brees at sometimes is quite overrated. Uh, he does have the passing numbers and stuff like that, but he also had four or five years where Sean Payton just passed 50 times. It's like, if you're going to pass that much, your numbers are going to be good. And, you know, you talked about Philip Rivers' playoff history. You know, Drew Brees, he did win the one Super Bowl. Then he had three straight years at seven and nine, and then four straight playoff exits. So for me, I think Brees will definitely get in name-wise, the records-wise, and he deserves the Hall of Fame. But he's one for, even for me, I could see him not being, if I was voting, I'm not 100% sure, depending on who the candidates would be, that he'd be first ballot. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, that uh, Drew Brees' stats are inflated a little bit because of the fact that he passed 50 times a game for about five years there. But at the same time, you got to look at the fact that he is a quarterback that can pass 50 times in a game and still succeed. Now, there's quarterbacks. Obviously, I want to say Lamar Jackson, but I'll, I'll leave him out of here. We'll even just go with Phillip Rivers, who is on the other side. I feel like if Phillip Rivers was throwing 50 times a game, uh, I don't think he'd ever win. I'm pretty sure that... Uh, they would struggle because Phillip Rivers is not as dynamic of a passer as Drew Brees is. And we've seen certain quarterbacks just struggle when they are relied on to throw that many times in a game uh, to lead their team to success. So the fact that he can throw that many times a game and actually still be successful, I think you still have to commend him a little bit. Yeah, I, I see your point completely. And, and I know I, I personally have like an, a skewed version of the Hall of Fame. I already think too many players get into it. I think it's too much. We're, you know, a couple players away from it becoming as about as valuable as a Pro Bowl. Um, okay, maybe it's not that extreme, but at the same time, that's just where my, my thought process is. Again, Drew Brees had an incredible career. His leadership, you know, let alone, for what he did off the field, you know, for the city of New Orleans, especially after the Hurricane Katrina, you know, that shouldn't take too much credit into the Football Hall of Fame because that's not directly related to your football career. But at the same time, that just shows what kind of person it person he is the leader he was in that locker room how much he meant to an organization so i guess that should have some say is how impactful you were for the city you played in i couldn't agree more there cody well either way uh congratulations to drew Brees and philip rivers on your amazing careers i know you guys are listening so i just wanted to give you guys a shout out but let's go ahead and move on into our recap of last week um starting with the saints versus the bucks game now, I know we all kind of just assumed the Saints were going to win. The Bucks, we said, were one of the teams that had one of the best chances to upset, um, and they pulled it off. They ended up winning pretty easily. I don't think it was Tom Brady that won the game. I think it was Drew Brees that lost the game. He definitely did not go out on a high note with all the interceptions. Uh, but, guys, what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, you said it. Drew Brees didn't go out on a high note. He uh, he threw four I think, was it four interceptions by the time the game was over? Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, you could just tell that age, unfortunately, caught up with him. I don't think the Buccaneers played anyone 15 yards deep on the field because they knew Breeze couldn't throw it there. That one big touchdown that they did have, they had to bring in Winston to throw it. You know, there was some even Saints fans that were, like, questioning on Twitter, like, at halftime, should we put in Jameis Winston? to threaten the Bucks' defense. So, it, and in all honesty, it was still a very close game. The Saints were in it uh, until like halfway through the fourth quarter after that final interception. So I feel bad for Saints fan. Like I said, it's their fourth straight uh, loss in the playoffs after 
they've like won the most games out of any team in the last four years and they're the only team to not have a Super Bowl appearance it's pretty crazy um Saints fans I know it's tough especially to lose to the Bucks who you beat twice but yeah Tom Brady didn't look great either uh, but his defense played a lot better I think Tom, uh, yeah, I think Drew Brees' injuries actually caught up to him. Like, we know he had the major rib issue and the punctured lung because of that. But I don't know if you guys saw on Twitter, Brees' wife actually posted how he was also dealing with a torn ligament in his foot and a torn rotator cuff. He was absolutely beat up this year, and it finally caught up to him, and you can definitely see it. The Bucks defense played him the right way because they knew he couldn't push the ball down the field. And I think none of us saw it coming going into the week and that's why we didn't give the bucks any shot to win and props to them for making it happen absolutely and let's just stay you know in the nfc um the other nfc matchup as the packers you know started off the weekend taking on the rams golf who was also came and injured he didn't look too bad uh on like three drives but looked pretty bad the rest of it packers uh made it close at some points but they won pretty easily never felt like they were going to let that game out of hand you guys have any major takeaways from that matchup no not really I mean we kind of expected the Packers to win win handedly and they did just that um I was honestly the thing I was most curious about was the matchup between Devontae Adams and Jalen Ramsey and my bold prediction last week was the fact that Devontae Adams would be held under 100 yards, and if you actually go back and listen to the podcast, you said, do you think he still gets a touchdown? And I said, I bet that it's going to be a little one-yard dunk into the end zone, but I do think he'll score, and that's exactly what happens. Uh, Jalen Ramsey did do a very good job against a top receiver like Devontae Adams, but ultimately in the end, that defense, no matter how good it was, they couldn't stop Aaron Rodgers or Devontae Adams. So you got to think if you have a team like the Rams who have one of the better defenses in the entire playoffs if they can't slow down Aaron Rodgers I think the only way that the Packers are going to lose a playoff game at this point is if somebody outscores them rather than stops them and it was nice being able to see that the Packers could win that game with Devontae Adams not really being at the top of his game I mean I don't think a lot of people give credit to the other weapons around Devontae Adams even Aaron Jones doesn't get the credit he deserves so being able to see them come out and handle the Rams pretty easily, even though I think we all had the Rams as the worst team left in the playoffs at that point. It's still just good to see, and the Packers are going to be a force probably into the Super Bowl is my guess. I, I like that, George. I will say they were – I thought the Browns were, were worse than the Rams, but that's picking hairs at this point. But like you did mention, you know, Devontae Adams still had, you know, nine catches for 66 yards but you're right the, you know guys like Alan Lazard who people every time you watch a Packers game if you're not a Packers fan the announcers are always like man and the coach just loves Alan Lazard because he's such a run blocker this dude was cut from the Jacksonville Jaguars because they thought he was too slow to play receiver and he didn't really convert to tight end he came to Green Bay they put him back to receiver and we saw him catch a 42 yard bomb for a touchdown uh took the top off of it so I think, you know, people are starting to realize, you know, because the narrative all season has been, I can't believe the Packers drafted a quarterback and not a wide receiver, give Aaron Rodgers some weapons. Little did they know they already had weapons on their offense, which is why they were the number one offense on the season. Uh, but that would leave us with the Packers, Bucks, NFC Championship game, which we'll get to a, a little bit later. So we'll move to the AFC quick recaps. You know, we have the Bills and the Ravens. 
I thought the Ravens had a chance to upset it. I still stand by that, but the Bills did pull off the victory. No surprise to you guys. What are your takeaways? Well, you've heard me bashing on Lamar Jackson for the last few weeks here, saying that he's not good enough to win these games. And uh, I guess it is worth noting that Lamar Jackson did throw his longest touchdown pass of his entire career in that playoff game, so that's pretty impressive. A 101-yard interception returned for a touchdown to lose the game for him. Uh, Game was on the line. It was in his hands, and he threw a pick six. Uh, it just goes to show the type of quarterback he is when the pressure's on and he needs to throw. I was very impressed with the Ravens' defense holding the Bills' offense down. Um, I'm curious to see if another defense is going to take notes from that defense and find ways to slow down Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, but ultimately I just think the Ravens were outmatched. I think the Bills are one of the best teams remaining in the playoffs, and um, I'm happy to see the Ravens go. I really am. My two notes from this game have to come from the Bills side. One is I was impressed with how the Bills defense stepped up and you can say what you want about the Ravens offense not being that dynamic, but the Bills defense came to play. And they I mean we talked about the Chiefs defense last year in the playoffs where they weren't that fantastic and then they stepped it up and the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. The Bills defense is taking that step off in the playoffs, step up in the playoffs this year and we'll see if it turns into anything. The other interesting note is how the Bills broke a record last week by only running the ball two times in the first half. And one of them was a scramble on a pass play. And that does concern me a little bit. I know you're going to probably have to air the ball out against the Chiefs, which is why it might work to their favor this week. But you're going to have to control the clock with the run game at some point. So I don't know what your guys thoughts are on only running the ball two times in a half. But I don't like that as a formula to be a long term success. Oh, you can say it that way, but at the same time, the Kansas City Chiefs are known as a team that don't need to run the ball ever, and they win. Now, I'm not saying that the Bills are on the same level as the Chiefs, but the Chiefs have showed that it is possible to completely just rely on the pass game and still win games. It matters if the defense can find a way to stop the pass game. Now, I do think that the Bills have the offensive weapons in the pass game to still be dominant. It's going to be hard to shut down Josh Allen's legs. It's going to be hard to shut down Stephon Diggs. Uh, Cole Beasley is playing out of his mind this year, which just honestly blows my mind. I do think they are going to have to get the run game involved a little bit, uh, whether it's maybe even in the screen game a little bit, get those running backs moving. Um, But I do think that Though it is concerning they weren't able to run, I don't think it's a complete crusher. I do think they can succeed just passing the ball. Yeah, I'm going to differ a little bit. I agree to an extent. You know, the quickest way is the end zones through the air, so you have to pass. I don't think repeating only pass or yeah, only running the ball twice in the first half is the way to success. Again, the Ravens' defense came out incredible. They only gave up ten points because um, the offense gave up another seven, and they held that high-powered offense that was close to 30 points a game to only 10. So even with them throwing that much, I think they need a little bit more balance. And, you know, it, it's okay to point out that Lamar Jackson did leave uh, for most of the fourth quarter with the concussion, which pretty much sealed the game once he went out. There was absolutely no chance for them to come back. I am a little bit worried about the Buffalo Bills, you know, going forward if they can't seem to get the running game going, even though, like, even if they only run it, you know, 12 times and I'm not counting Josh Allen scrambles like if they have 12 runs to 38 
passes for on their 50 plays. And like, I'm okay with that because it's still enough to keep the defense honest. You know, at first the play action was working, but then the Ravens just completely ignored it because they weren't running the ball. So against, you know, a team that can put up points, I think you got to keep them honest, but that's enough for that game. I think it wasn't that great. I, some people probably turned off as soon as Lamar went to the locker room. Uh, but, you know, one game that came right down to the wire uh, was the Chiefs versus Browns. That was a fun one. Everyone thought it'd be a high-scoring shootout. It really wasn't. Uh, only in the 20s for both teams. So, guys, the Browns almost pulled off the upset. Uh, but what are your takeaways from that one? I think the biggest takeaway is we have to talk about uh, the controversial play where the Browns caught the ball, they dove for the end zone, and uh, Sorensen had a lowering the helmet hit to Higgins, causing a fumble through the back of the end zone, which then became a touchback. Now, that game was so close that that touchback could be the difference. If that was a touchdown for the Browns, um, that could honestly be a Browns win. It was that close of a game. Now, one of the controversial things about that play was the fact that Sorensen did lower his head to create contact, which is an illegal play, and the refs did not call it. On the other hand, uh, guys, we have to talk about this rule where if an offense fumbles into the end zone, it becomes a touchback for the other team. That is such a harsh, harsh penalty. Um, do you think this is the dumbest rule in all of sports? It's like the goal line becomes some magical thing where, I mean, if an offense fumbles out of bounds anywhere else on the field, it just goes back to the fumble spot and it's back to the offense. But all of a sudden, when you, have, you get the end zone, it's different. That's why I have a big problem with it. It's like an inconsistency in the rule book, and people have been complaining about it since I started watching football 20 years ago, and they still haven't done anything about it. Like, I think hopefully that now that it happened in a big playoff game, and it could have changed the outcome of a game, the rules committee will actually do something about it, maybe? Yeah, see, I've gone back and forth with it because, you know, like, I, I tend to agree with the fans, like, that rule doesn't make too much sense. But at the same time, like, everyone knows it's a rule. So, like, give or take, if it, you don't think it's right or wrong, don't reach for the goal line if, you, if you're if you not 100% sure you're going to cross it. Like, you... Again there was an illegal hit on that play that we can talk about for a different discussion. So, you know, that had played a role in it, but at the same time, like he was at like the five yard line diving for the, the pylon. So he, the player has to be a little bit smarter on that and be like, okay, let me get to the three and we'll live, we'll live another down. Like I'm not going to make it in. I know he wanted to be the, you know, a hero. It's a big playoff game. You know, it's a big momentum swing if you go in there, but it ended up, being the exact opposite. It was a big momentum swing for the, the Chiefs. Uh, the Browns never seemed to recover from that. And some people say it cost them the game, that call. So whether you think it's dumb or not, which I'm with you and George, and I think I'm with you, Snyder, that I do believe it's a dumb rule. But at the same time, as an NFL player, you have to know the rule and understand when to reach for the goal line and when not to. I just think my biggest issue with what you said was you have to basically hold yourself back and that, that telling an athlete to not go 100% because he's worried about this or that seems dumb. And I think especially in a league that's trying to promote offense because offense is exciting. I'm shocked they haven't done anything about this yet. 
I just want to say I didn't say he has to hold himself back. I'm not like we don't want players holding themselves back. But you know, when you're at when if it's the opposite and you're coming out of the end zone, you know, the players focus like they're not thinking touchdown. They're like, I got to get this ball. I, I can't get a safety. It's the same. He's like when he's like he has to evaluate in real time, which is a lot harder uh, to do than what I'm going to make it sound like sitting, you know, in a basement talking to you guys. But if you're at the five yard line, you have to realistically think, am I going to reach the end zone on this dive? If you got to be able to process that in the moment, that's a part of being an NFL player. So again, I'm not encouraging players to hold themselves back, but you know, a quarterback has to read four different progression progressions, every play that's not holding him back player. It's just like the special teams guys, you know, we saw, I think it was two years ago, you know, the, uh, the guy from the Raiders can't even think of his name, but he knew the rule that if the ball was touched, he could pick it up and run it back. That was smart because he knew the rule. You just have to know the rules and play with, if you play within the contract of them and know how to, you know, be the best you can within those rules. If everyone knows them, things like that shouldn't happen. Now, again, I'm not taking, I'm understand there wasn't a legal hit. We can question how much of that played a big factor. You get helmet to the side of the head, you know, you might black out for a second and forget everything. So I get that part of it. But for, just from a basis of the rule, as much as I hate it, I understand why it's in there. Now, if you want to make it a harsh penalty, like I understand if you make it no penalty or if you make it just go back to the spot where it's fumbled and you're allowed to be completely loose with the ball like that and still get the ball at the one-yard line for the next play, fine. Make it a, a harsh penalty for fumbling into the end zone. But to completely give possession over to the other team seems a bit excessive to me. I would say make it uh, – put the ball at the 10. Or even Bill Cower after the game said that he'd be fine if you want to move the ball to the 20, fine, but let the offense keep the ball. Like that's a harsh penalty. You might have second, third, and goal from the 20-yard line then. Uh Harsh penalty there, but at least the offense still keeps possession because uh, the defense, it's not like they recovered the fumble. They didn't do enough to earn possession of the ball. Uh, so I don't believe like the defense should then get possession from that. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. You know, and I'm totally open to for new rules idea. You know, maybe it's just replay the down. You get the ball back at where it went out. You got to replay the down. You know, or some people will have issues with yeah. Something, something like that, you know, but, and I, again, you said the defense didn't recover it, you know, but on defense, you know, you're told to protect the end zone, protect the boundaries, use the boundaries as an extra defender. So, you know, part of using the boundaries as an extra, extra defender, if someone fumbles it to your extra defender, which your end zone is what you're defending and the boundaries is quote unquote, your extra defender. It's the same thing. Like, if they're going to change that rule, they have to look into if a wide receiver st- like gets pushed out of bounds, he can't be the first one to touch the ball. Because, you know, that's if you can get the guy to step out of bounds, you won your route, even though you didn't, and he still catches it, they still lose yards. So, again, hey, I would I like the idea of, you know, just making it a penalty. I think it'd be better for the NFL, uh, but I don't think players can complain too much or fans can complain too much because it is a rule everyone knows it it's just like you know when Deshaun Jackson dropped the ball before scoring a touchdown like that's that's his fault you know he he knew not to cross he didn't he knew he should be getting across the the goal line same same kind of concept you have to know where you're at you have to know the rules but it's still pretty dumb 
So to everybody listening out there, uh, let us know what you think of this rule. Do you like the rule? Do you hate the rule? And if you don't like it, what would you rather see the NFL do if there is a fumble into the end zone? Uh, What kind of penalty do you think should come to the offense, if any? Uh, Let us know on social media. Uh, Definitely get involved with this podcast. But guys, I think that is enough about that game. It is enough talking about last week. It is time to talk about this week because it is the conference championship. It is play to make the Super Bowl. It is a big week. So guys, let's go ahead and start it off with the NFC. Cody, I know you're going to be real excited about this game. Uh, One game away from senior Packers in the Super Bowl. We have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay is only three and a half point favorites, which is a little surprising to me. Um, So, Cody, we know what your thoughts are. We'll let you get to them. So, George, let's go ahead and start it off with you. What are your thoughts on this Bucks and Packers game and who do you like to win? Well, I'm going to go with the Packers to win this game. And I think that's probably not shocking with how I've been talking about the Buccaneers coming in. Um, I think Tom Brady has been listening and been saying, oh, well, I'm still Tom Brady in the playoffs, so I'm going to do better than you think I will. And that's got to take some kind of weight into that, because for whatever reason, the guy just knows how to how to win in January. But have I mean, we've seen him play in cold games as well in New England, but I don't know if he's ever played against a talent like Green Bay. The AFC has been weak for the most part, and he's struggled even sometimes when he's played those tough teams like recently he lost to Kansas City. So. I'm going to go with Green Bay because I think that they are sneakily the deepest team left. If their defense can shut down Tom Brady just a little bit, that offense puts up so many points that I cannot bet against Aaron Rodgers, the MVP of the league. You're welcome, Cody, to win this game. Yeah, George, I'm going to agree with you. I am going to pick Green Bay to win this game as well. I do think that the Bucs have a chance to compete in this one for sure. We didn't really expect them to beat the Saints, and yet uh, they definitely did, and it's not because of Tom Brady. Yes, Tom Brady is probably playing with his vengeance. It's always been the, uh, is it Belichick the reason that the Patriots have been so good, or is it Tom Brady? So Brady definitely has this little chip on his shoulder that he wants to prove that it always has been him. Um, But besides that, Tampa Bay is good because they have that good defense. They have that defense that can create turnovers we saw that with Drew Brees throwing four interceptions now I understand that Aaron Rodgers is not as beat up as Drew Brees and I understand that Aaron Rodgers uh, at this point in his career is a lot more talented than Drew Brees so I do think that it's going to be a little harder for the Bucks to create some turnovers but you can't really put anything past them they have a great pass rush they have a good pass defense and they still do have plenty of weapons on offense. I think this could be a relatively close game, and I do think it's going to be a fun, exciting game, but I'm going to take the Packers to win. Uh, So, Cody, tell us about your favorite team. What are your thoughts on this game? So, first of all, thank you both for picking the Packers. Um, I agree with you guys. It's going to be a close game. Uh, I'd probably lose 10, maybe 15 years off my life because – once 3 o'clock hits, my heart rate will be like 190 and it won't stop until the game's over. Uh, I do think the Packers, they're on a mission this year. You know, Their offense is clicking. Rodgers is playing as well as ever. They're, they're vibing really well. The defense has played the best. You know, Even as much hate as people want to give them on Twitter, online, they're still playing the best they've played in the, since their last Super Bowl run. The only thing that scares me is I was doing some research 
uh, for She's Head TV over this past week. And a fun, interesting fact that I found is since 2012, every time the Packers have made the playoffs, which is every year except 17 and 18, the Packers exited the playoffs, losing to a team they lost to in the regular season. Which that means we lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, it's scary. We don't seem to have that revenge switch. You know, we got to go in there and beat them. We seem to get in our heads. I will say the big difference from this year to years past is now the Buccaneers are coming to Lambeau. We're currently, uh, we record this podcast on Wednesday, so it can definitely change. But currently we got 28 degrees and snow. That's, that's, a, good, that's a good Packers game. Tyler saw it firsthand how good our team is in the snow and how well it affects southern teams and Florida's uh, more south than Tennessee for you non-geography majors. Just saying. I understand Brady's played in the cold. He played New England, but he's been living in, in Florida for a year or more, and it's been like 70 degrees the whole time he's there. He even said during the offseason, I don't know why I ever played in the cold once getting to Tampa Bay. It should be interesting. They're old division rivals back before they realigned when it was the NFC Central. So there's a fun little underlining story there. There is the fact that Vita Vey for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is potentially going to be activated off IR this week. He is back practicing. That is the one area that I thought Green Bay could attack the Buccaneers the most was running up the middle, especially after we saw how well they their run game was last week. Vita Vey could hamper that. I don't know how effective he'll be. It'll be his first time playing since October 6th come back from a broken ankle, but it's still something. I'm pretty excited for this game. I have more confidence than I did last year. In the last year, I, I thought we were the clear underdogs. This year, like George said, I think we're the deepest team. I think we're the best team in the NFL, especially at Lambeau. I don't think there's a team that can beat us except ourselves. So as long as Aaron Rodgers doesn't throw two interceptions, one for a pick six again, you know, back in that week six matchup, we were up 10 nothing until we completely fell apart. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully we get up. The defense doesn't play super soft and let Tom Brady pick them apart because our defense does like to play. Like, I don't know if you guys have a defense like this, but it would be third and three, and our corners will play 10 yards off. I don't understand why we do that. Uh, the it's Titans the have had the worst third down defense in NFL history this year. So, uh, yeah, I think I know how that feels. So, yeah, it's frustrating. I'm sure it'll be up. I'm sure it's not going to be a game that one team, you know, takes the lead and holds the lead the whole game. I'm sure it'll be back and forth. It'll be interesting, a nail-biter. And then the Packers, I don't even know how this is possible, but they're, they are hosting Tremont Williams and expected to sign him today, who was on the Ravens and got cut two days ago. I don't understand how this is happening again. He wasn't on the practice squad like Jared Valdir last week. He was on the active roster. And apparently it's because released him. Yeah. But so if you waive a player during the playoffs, waivers don't, you can't claim anyone until after the Super Bowl. It prevents teams from letting veterans, you know, go sign team, go sign to teams and still play. But there's like a caveat in the rule that because Tremont Williams was on a one year deal, they waived him and there's nothing for the team to claim because there's nothing left on his deal. So he reverted to a free agent. So Tremont was a huge 
uh, locker room guy for the Packers. I don't know how if he'll even play, uh, but just like a veteran leadership, you know, a guy that was on the 2010 Super Bowl team, uh, a Green Bay favorite, just coming back to the the uh, Lambeau Field, coming back to Green Bay, I think could be an extra boost. They got fans in Lambeau. I think it's going to be a good game. I'm so excited. I could talk about this forever. I need to stop, let you guys uh, say anything else you want to move on, but go Green Bay. And it's going to be a good one. I'll throw one thing out there for Tremont Williams thing, just to clear it for people who might be confused. Like you said, he was on a one-year contract. So why the heck would the Ravens waive him early when he was going to run out of his contract anyway? And it probably has something to do with the salary cap next year and cap hits for bonuses and guaranteed money are going to be affected into the cap differently. So it's probably the Ravens in a money saving move doing it. And because he didn't have to clear waivers, obviously why he has to go to Green Bay. But really quick, before we move on, I have one question for you, Cody. It, make it a quick answer, hopefully. Um, if there's snow again, is it going to be more Aaron Jones? Or are we going to see a big uh, A.J. Dillon game again like we did against Tennessee? I think it'll be, you know, we saw all three running backs get snaps. Um, both A.J. Dillon and Jamal Williams were limited in practice on Wednesday. They're expected to play. Uh, Dylan did leave the game on Saturday with a quad injury. So it could be Aaron Jones. I know Aaron Jones is looking to get paid, uh, but I think they'll rotate him. And I wouldn't rule out, you know, the play action game, a couple deep shots, even if it does snow. So, oh man, I'm so excited. Is it Sunday yet? No, it is not. And guys, uh, as much as I would love to keep talking about this. I know if we don't cut Cody off from talking about the Packers, uh, this will be a four-hour podcast. So let's go ahead and move on into our AFC matchup. We have the Buffalo Bills at the Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, one of the biggest questions is, is Patrick Mahomes going to play? He did practice today. Uh, So, you know, there is some optimism, but he is still questionable. But, guys, who do you think is going to win this matchup with or without Mahomes? Well, you know, if, if it's without Mahomes, it's going to be pretty hard for Kansas City to win. But if it's with Mahomes, I think Kansas City's got this one. You know, Kansas City still has a chance without them because Chad Henney does have some experience. He's not the best quarterback. Uh, but he did have that nice run on third down to keep the keep the game alive against the Cleveland Browns. But, you know, back to our point earlier, we were talking about Buffalo and not being able to run the ball. Right now, again, we're going to to the weather. It's forecasted to rain. Rain is probably worse than snow. It's probably the worst conditions. Rain or wind is, depending on if it's both, that's even worse. But rain or wind, definitely the worst conditions to play in. And if you can't run the ball, I'm not none of the, either of these teams don't like it. We mentioned that enough times. But I'm going to take Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Le'Veon Bell, Darrell Williams over Devin Singletary and whoever else is on the Buffalo game if this game becomes a sloppy, wet game. I like the Chiefs. Now, if Mahomes ends up not playing because he has that pinched nerve, which is a very weird injury to me, that he didn't hit his head, but he still went into concussion concussion protocol. Uh, But I'm not a doctor, so I won't get into that. I think Buffalo is a great Cinderella story. Everyone roots for a Cinderella story. I would not be upset if they make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, But I think the Chiefs make it back to the dance. I can definitely see plenty of reasons to pick both teams in this game, but I'm going to stick to my guns and stick to the team who I had as the underdog for the Super Bowl the entire year, and that's going to be Buffalo. And I could definitely see the run game being an issue if it's a rainy game, but I think, honestly, it would be more of an issue if it was in Buffalo. 
because we even saw last week how the wind was so bad it was affecting not only the offense it was affecting the kicking game and that's just a normal night in buffalo so like you could see a rainstorm in kansas city and that could whip up some wind as well but you got less of a chance of it being wind being a factor in the game in kansas city than you do in buffalo so I could see them being fine. Buffalo's done a great job of not only getting Josh Allen on the run to get that running game going, but also using the short passing game. Tyler earlier talked about Cole Beasley having the year of his career, and he's that short passing game guy. So even if Mahomes plays or not, if it's rainy or not, this game could be a lot of points. And I'm going to go ahead and throw out the only bold prediction of this podcast, maybe, and say that this game is going to have 80 or more points total. Because I want to see it, and that'd be entertaining as hell for the uh, nightcap to the NFC, uh, NFL championship weekend. I don't really see 80 points being broken, especially in a rain game, if they do have to rely on uh, two terrible run games. But I really don't think the run game is going to be that much of a factor in this game because of the fact that both teams kind of suck at running the football. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire has been battling injuries. We're not even sure if he's going to play, and even if he does, he might be limited. Le'Veon Bell has been less than impressive, to say the most, for him. Um, And honestly, I think Devin Singletary can perform just as well as Le'Veon Bell at this point, which is saying a lot. So I don't think the run game is going to come into effect that much. I do think that Buffalo has the better defense of the two. We have seen some good games out of Kansas City occasionally this season, but I do think that Buffalo has the slight edge. I think it's going to be a good, exciting game. I really wish Mahomes, as much as I would love to see him play because the game would be better, anytime there's an injury with the neck, I just it makes me nervous. I kind of wish that he wouldn't play for his own safety. Um, but I am going to go, whether Mahomes plays or not, I'm going with the Bills to win this game. I really like the Bills this year. I said uh, at the end of last year, I have written proof that my prediction for the Super Bowl was Bills versus Packers, and I just want to see that come to fruition, and I think it can. I really do. I think the Bills are the best team in the NFL right now. Sorry, Cody. And I think they're going to win this game, and it's going to be a very exciting Super Bowl. Okay. I mean, I can't argue because everyone thinks I'm biased on the Packers being the better team over the Bills. It is It is what it is. We'll just say the Packers are the best team in the NFC, and we'll, we can agree on that one. I can agree uh, easily. But yeah. I, I, I get your guys' points. I definitely could see Buffalo winning this this game. I think, you know, both these games are going to really just come down to turnovers. And, you know, Mahomes has had the most dropped interceptions this season, but Mahomes has also played in these big games. I know Allen hasn't, you know, he played really well in the regular season. He's looked good in moments during these playoffs, but he hasn't looked the same, at least to me, uh, for four straight quarters. You know, and it could just be one big turnover or one, big thing as as long as it's not one completely blown call or missed call similar to the Sorensen thing that wasn't wasn't called or especially late in the game as long as they're both good games I'll be happy you know at the end of the day I can't believe that we're one game away from the Super Bowl I know we were all talking back even before this podcast started and we were getting ramped up for the NFL how expect them to finish we thought they'd play like six games and then COVID would stop the season. Uh, so I'm just excited to be here at this point. I think Buffalo, Kansas City might be the best game of the year. Um, better than the Super Bowl matchup, even if that includes the Green Bay Packers. These are two great teams. Man, again, is it Sunday yet? 
you know, this is the most bittersweet part of the season because it's exciting to finally see all the hard work that these teams have gone through and everything we've seen this season all leading up to this moment. One game and you're in the Super Bowl, I believe the biggest game of the year. And that is exciting. And as football fans, we love this time of year. But at the same time, it's so bittersweet knowing that just a few weeks from now, we're going to be going months until we get to see live football action again. And it is it is depressing, guys. I am I'm hoping for some uh at least some good games to make the memories last longer and um I'm already excited for next season with my Titans out of it. Hey, I completely understand. And you know, if you're out there and your team's not in it, or your team might lose this weekend, when you're dreading those months without football, just know. The Couch GM's podcast isn't going anywhere. We're going to be talking football all year long. Get excited. We're going to keep you guys excited. It's going to be a great offseason with the Couch GM's podcast. So make sure you are subscribed and stay for everything that's up and coming. Absolutely, guys. It is definitely going to be a good offseason. If you need your football fix, just tune into the Couch GM's. And remember, you can actually get involved with the podcast and become a Couch GM yourself. So definitely stay tuned. It's going to be a fun offseason. And don't forget, trust me, we have not forgotten. George still has a season punishment yet to come, and it's a big one. We got some big plans in store. So uh, stay tuned on social media. We are saving it for a good time. And don't worry, George is still going to get punished. We got to build all the suspense we can, just like the NFL season builds all the suspense coming up to the Super Bowl. This is like our Super Bowl, guys, isn't it? Pretty much well, is. I mean, we're not playing in it. It's just you. It's kind of like the a hype factor. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. For the hype factor, this is like the media week. I got you. Yeah. But you're still like the Jacksonville. You're like the Jacksonville Jaguars debating if you need to take Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Like that kind of drama. Because you know what you're going to get, but you got to make it sound tempting. Anyway, anyway, let's get out of here while we can. So thank you all again for listening to another episode of the Couch GM's podcast. For Tyler Snyder and Cody Roadcap, I'm George Kurth, and we will see you all next week. Go Pack Go. Who?